Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Nature Boost. I'm your host, Jill Pritchard, with the Missouri Department of Conservation. I have such an exciting episode for everybody today. We are talking birds with Missouri's state ornithologist, Sarah Kendrick. She's amazing. She knows so much about birds. We're walking around right now outside of MDC headquarters, and it's a humid day, but I'm hoping that we get to see some birds and maybe you can point out some cool ones to me today. So first off, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jill. I feel so famous in your presence. (laughs) I've been telling Sarah, I've just been so excited about this episode for a number of reasons. Number one, birds show up in almost every landscape. That is true. Yeah, that's my favorite thing about birds is their vast diversity. So that anywhere you are in the entire world, if you're in the most rural corners of the world to the most urban, there are always birds because they're so adaptable and they can live everywhere. And if somebody ever came up to you or came up to me and said, I've never seen a bird, I've never seen or heard a bird, I would not believe them. That's true. You know, that's one of the coolest things about them also is that they're so accessible. They're a lot of people's first step into learning about nature and ecology and the outdoors. Millions upon millions of people feed birds in the United States and across the world. That it's one of the few groups of animals that you can put up a bird feeder and wildlife are there within a day, you know, for you to view and learn about. So they really do act like the gateway taxa of animals that really bring people into the outdoors and learning about nature. So, And I love that you said that because especially as we all right now are currently going through this COVID-19 pandemic. There are several people, at least I know, and and, and maybe you will agree, it's almost become this huge trending thing where people are kind of rediscovering birds. A lot of us are at home, working from home, we're with kids, and uh, it's kind of like, oh, whoa, they kind of find themselves enjoying watching birds. And I, I think that's really cool. I do too. Absolutely. There have been a lot of upticks in the number of people downloading bird identification apps on your phone. There have been a lot more eBird checklists submitted, which eBird is an online database of birder checklists. So there have been a few pretty large news stories about how birding is just kind of exploding during this pandemic. It's kind of a little bit of a silver lining as part of all of this. People are staying at home, but they're also looking out their windows and they're connecting with nature in a way that they haven't in a very long time because everything, all the other activities are shut down right now. So going on a hike and spending time outside and really our kind of primal reconnection with the outdoors is really blossoming right now during all of this. So it is, you know, you hesitate to say a good part about all of this because it's hurting people a lot uh, across the world in many ways, but um, people reconnecting with nature is definitely a benefit. I know that there are so many different types of species of birds that occur in Missouri. I mean, hundreds, right? Yes. So kind of a, an average number of species that occur in the state throughout a given year is about 335. Man. 170 of those breed in Missouri, and 86 of them, I believe is the number, leave the state in the non-breeding season. They migrate outside the state's borders. And then 58 species, one-third of all of our breeding birds, migrate outside of the United States completely, outside of the country, to overwinter in warmer climates, in tropical climates. Out of all of those species of birds that occur here in Missouri, what would you say are the most common people would see in their backyard? Oh my, even in a backyard, you can see up to 20, 30 species. And depending on how many native species you have in your yard, you can attract even more. There's definitely steps you can take to attract more and more birds to your yard. It also depends on 
what your surrounding landscape is. If you're in a super urban, urban concrete jungle type area, you're not going to get as much diversity. But there are always things people can do in their backyard to attract more birds. So to answer your question, there are a number of really common species. Feeder birds, generally, if you put up a feeder, um, you can attract things like tufted titmouse, black-capped chickadee, white-breasted nuthatch, woodpeckers if you put up a suet feeder. Um, just all sorts of things. Northern cardinals singing right above our head right now. Up to 20 to 30 species you can find in your backyard. I did not think that many. There are a lot. I was just, my parents are in northern Missouri. And just depending on, like I said, the landscape you're in, they're surrounded by a lot of ag, but also timber and it's just a rural area. So there's just a lot more usable habitat by a lot of different species. And they were having eight to 12 to 15 Baltimore Orioles in their yard every single day for like two or three weeks because all those birds were migrating through on spring migration. And they were attracted to their, you know, they had out a nectar feeder for Orioles. They were putting out oranges and um, things like- I've also heard, sorry to cut you off. I've also heard they eat jelly too. They do, they eat grape jelly. So if you, Smuckers or do they, does it matter? I don't think that they have a preference on brand. <laughs> and so, yeah, if you put out a little dish of grape jelly and put out, you know, oranges cut in half, they'll eat the, you know, on the, on the wintering grounds when they're in tropical areas, they're eating fruit and uh, nectar. And so, yeah, they, they really need that energy right when they're migrating through because they've flown, you know, up to a thousand or more miles and they're just, they use their fat reserves for that big push to, to fly back up here to breed. And so they really kind of congregated areas like that where they can find food and cover and, and good habitat. So it was really neat to see that. But yeah, it just depends on your yard. But yeah, you can see up to 20, 30 species. For some people who maybe want to try getting into bird watching, what do you recommend? I mean, I obviously, you think of bird watchers, you automatically think, or at least I do, of binoculars. Yes. So binoculars do help. They help you to see the details on birds up close. And you can kind of spend whatever you want on binoculars. But I, I will warn you that if you're getting into bird watching or wildlife watching, if making that investment on a good pair of binoculars is a really good thing to do. If you buy a cheap pair, they can cause eye strain. And if they're causing eye strain and giving you headaches every time you use them, you're not going to use them very much. So, But you don't need those starting off, but they do help certainly to identify birds. Another thing you might need is a, a field guide, whether it's a paper book field guide, which a lot of folks have, smartphone apps that you can download. There are a few free ones. There's Merlin by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. That's free and that's a really good one. And then Audubon Society has a free bird identification app. So there are free resources out there for, at your disposal. As far as ecological roles go, which just means what birds do for the world, you know, um, the ecological world, they eat a ton of insects, so more than a ton. Birds eat 400 to 500 tons of insects per year. Ugh. And you can't even hardly wrap your mind around that. Uh, but when you think of all the billions and billions of birds across the world, I mean, they're just making such a huge dent in it, you know? And even birds that are granivorous, which means they're granivores, they eat seeds, they're all feeding their young insects in the breeding season. So really all birds at some stage in their life eat insects. And that's why native plants are so important, is because you're attracting native insects, you're attracting native insects to the native plants, and then the birds eat that. So you're really creating a whole food web. We had mentioned those living in urban environments who may not have a yard. Is there anything that they could do, either on their balcony or even in a community space as well, to increase that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can plant native plants in a pot and put them, if you have a balcony, put them on the balcony. If you have a community garden or you're part of a community gardening space, encourage people to plant native plants. You know, 
One of the best things about natives is they're pretty hands-free. I mean, you have to weed around them, but when you plant them, you know, they're adapted to the climate here uh, in Missouri, so they don't require a lot of watering and maintenance and care. Once they're established, they'll flourish, and they'll come back the following year. Something that I really love about whenever it gets warmer is that the birds almost become your alarm clock in the morning. You really do associate that with the time of year, because you don't really hear that in the winter time, the birds early in the morning. So my question, is that a blue? I know it, I know it, don't say anything. I know what kind that is, blue jay. Yeah, good job. <laughs> I mean, that's a common one, but <laughs> I still got it. Uh, <laughs> um, so like I was saying, why do the birds call out to each other so early in the morning? So certain species will kind of start singing at different times of day. Robins are a bird that will use urban habitats and wakes us all up at about 4 a.m. because they start singing super, super early, even when it's dark. But yeah, birds uh, in general start singing during this time of year because it's breeding season. And males are very vocal because they're announcing their territory. They're trying to call mates. Um, And so they become very vocal. That's just one way that they can designate, this is my territory, this is my breeding ground and to defend that and kind of state the boundaries of you know this is my territory and this is my mate keep out so that's what they're saying they're like this is my area don't come over here and also all you fine ladies i'm available yes in a manner (laughs) of speaking absolutely so yeah when breeding birds have to set up a territory called a habitat right and they choose a habitat based on what it provides for them they need food and water and cover and so if they choose an area that they like or they were successful breeding there the, the season before, you know, the year before, they'll choose that territory again sometimes. And yeah, they have to state the boundaries. You know, males predominantly, you know, they'll help with the nest as well. But the males are pretty focused on defending the territory and keeping other males out. And while females are spending a lot of time attending to the nest, you know, a lot of females build the nest alone uh, and then they lay the eggs and they incubate. Sometimes the male will bring food to the female while she's incubating. But the male's main role is to defend the territory and make sure other males don't don't come in and take their resources. You know, I think bird watching is amazing. It appeals to a lot of people's um, competitive nature. But also it just opens up an entire world. I know my husband has said before he didn't bird watch before we were together. And he just says that it makes the outdoors come alive. Once you learn bird song in particular, you can't unhear it, you know? So it's it's opening up just such a magical aspect of the outdoors to me because it just shows you how much is happening around you all the time. It's just so magical that just all of this life is occurring all around you all the time. And I think bird song and bird ID can do that as well. We are going to take a quick break, but stay tuned because when we return, we are going to play a really fun game with Sarah. So you don't want to miss it. We will be right back. Birds help our mental and physical health. Bird watching boosts our economy. Their habitats support clean water and raise home values. But North American birds have declined by 3 billion since 1970. That's about 30% less birds in our backyards, forests, and grasslands. You can help birds by planting native plants and preventing collisions by breaking up reflections on outside windows with stickers, film, or screens. Discover area birds at greatmissourybirdingtrail.com. (laughs) 
and welcome back to Nature Boost. I'm your host, Jill Pritchard, here with state ornithologist Sarah Kendrick. We're talking all about birds. And Sarah, I have a fun game I would like to play with you. I hope you enjoy it. It's called Guess That Bird Call. Awesome. And um, I am going to do three bird calls, but the challenge is I really cannot whistle. So you may get a whistle. You may just get like some weird breathy air. I'm excited. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm ready. Okay. Here's the first bird call. Northern Cardinal. <laughs> Did I do it right? Is that how they, is that how they call it? Can you yes. do one better? No. Oh, you can't. Okay. Um, no, they kind of sound like a ray gun. Because we all know what a ray gun sounds like, pew, which pew, is a pew. great yes. But they go <laughs> pew 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 pew. Yeah, pew. That's okay. Part of their song. Yes, that's awesome. I've never heard it uh, liken it to a ray gun. And that's then probably for a reason. <laughs> okay, here is the next one. Morning dove. Yes. <laughs> okay, and I have a question for morning dove. Yes. Ma'am. Um, they sound a little melancholy, and so is that where they get their name? We had talked about that earlier, about how a lot of birds, some birds get their names because of their calls. And I believe so. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does sound like a mournful song. So yeah. I believe so. I would have to, I would have to look it up, but I believe that yes, that is why. All right, ready for the third bird? Bring it on. Here is the third bird, and perhaps the worst bird call oh I can do. Okay, or can't do. Eastern whippoorwill. Yes. Three. What do I win? Um, what? Chill. Uh, uh, bragging rights. Yeah, bragging rights. Okay. Yeah. I was like, oh, I could give you an air hug. You could. There you go. I would appreciate that too. Um, Thank you. Welcome. All right. I have a few more questions for you. Okay. And then I'm finally gonna let you fly away. Fly away. I like That's the birds. Terrible. Puns. Yeah, they're bad. Okay. We talked a lot about migratory species. I want to know how they know when it's time that they got to hit the road, Jack. So a lot of research has shown that day length is the predominant motivator so that they know when to get up and leave. So in the spring and fall, day length changes um, and they can detect those changes. So so they kind of they kind of can tell time in a way, wouldn't In would a way. I mean, they have receptors uh, inside themselves that are are telling them that it's time to go. You know, some people ask me questions. If I leave my hummingbird food out through the fall, is it keeping birds here because they're relying on that food? And it's not. I mean, those those birds know when to go um, and you providing food isn't keeping them there. They rely on that a lot. Anytime we feed birds, we're just supplementing their natural food sources so they can find what they need, um, you know, unless there's like an ice storm or snowstorm where that's the only food they have access to, which is helpful. Day length is the is the predominant motivator. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Research has shown. Yeah. All right. Also, it gets really cold in Missouri in the wintertime. How do birds stay warm? I see those little legs. They just look so little and small, and I'm worried about them, and I don't want them to... I just want to know how they stay warm. Tell me. So there's a few different ways. So staying active and fueling up clearly helps them burn energy they need to stay warm. So it's... It's a combination of finding the right food sources. That's why feeding and extra cold temperatures or inclement weather is important in the winter because that can be make the difference for them on super cold nights and in, in really harsh winter time. 
So another thing they can do is sometimes birds you see in the winter are puffed up. They look twice their size. Yeah. And what they're doing is they're trapping warm air against their body in between their feathers. So their feathers are puffed up and they're holding that warm air around their core um, to stay warm. And they're also just trying to tense up and create heat for themselves. And so um, they do need that energy source and they can puff up like that. That helps. Also good cover, which is another good reason why you put up brush piles in your yard if your neighborhood allows a brush pile because they use that cover um, to hunker down in for the for the night in the winter to stay out of the wind and the cold. Okay. All right. Uh, one common type of bird people see are a woodpecker. There are lots of different types of woodpeckers. I just want to know how they don't have headaches all the time because they are going to town on these trees. So they have reinforced muscles in their necks that brace right before they drum. Right oh, really? Before they slam their heads, their bills into wood. And so they've reinforced neck muscles to kind of take the blow. And they also... Their heads are, their skulls are also reinforced so that they're not, you know, knocking their brain around in there. And I've also read that they have a third eyelid that acts as like a seatbelt for their eyeballs so their eyeballs don't fly out when they hammer on a tree. That is so cool. It is cool. I love how, you know, they've just adapted to, you know, that that action. They wouldn't do it long term if it... If it harmed them, right? Because all of the traits that help them pass on their genes are carried through generations. So, yeah, they've adapted. Their bodies are made for that. Here's a question I've always wondered. Is it true that crows are the most intelligent bird family? Yeah, so corvids, which is the family that includes crows and jays, are, yes, they have been found to be very, very intelligent. There's a very common video online of a raven in Europe dropping um, nuts from over a busy intersection and then it waits for the cars to drive over the nut to break it open and then it goes down and eats the pieces out of the middle. So I love that. They have, other research has shown that corvids use tools. I don't remember if it's ravens or crows, but they'll use sticks to get ants out of dead logs. They'll, they'll use tools and yes, they're very, very intelligent. So cool. It is cool. Do all birds get along? Does one species of bird play well with a different species? Or are they all just like different bird gangs, like defending territories? And also, like, do they secretly wear leather jackets? (laughs) I can think it's a definitive no on the last question, the leather jacket. It was a reach, but I still had to ask. I think it depends on species. You know, it's it's kind of obnoxious to just hear the answer. It depends on the species over and over. But there's like 10,000 species of birds in the world. That's fair. There's a lot of variation out there. However, some birds work together. So in the winter, when they're not breeding and they're not defending their territory against others, some species will form mixed flocks, which means species that generally eat the same type of things like tint mice and chickadees and golden crown kinglets, which are little bitty birds that are only here in the winter. They'll form these mixed flocks. So if you find one, keep looking around in the winter because there could be others with them. I believe that they found that titmice are kind of the leaders of those mixed flocks. They kind of choose what direction they're going and where they're going, how they're moving around the landscape. But the benefits to flocking up in the non-breeding season or ever is that multiple eyes can look for food. Um, It's not just one individual out there. And multiple eyes can look for predators. And so a lot of birds flock up that time of year. So I get a lot of calls from the public in the fall thinking all their birds are gone. Uh You know, they've been around their feeders all breeding season and then they're just gone. And there's a lot of things happening there in the fall, especially is a lot of plants on the landscape go to seed. 
So there's a lot of natural food sources that take them away from your bird feeder. Um, birds also know what nutrients they need when they need it. And so they're, especially in the non-breeding season, they'll flock up and kind of move around the landscape um, with that flock of birds to find different food sources and, and water. So a lot of folks think that their birds are gone or something's happened to them, but really it's just the changing season and birds flocking up and moving around. Okay. There's power in numbers, it sounds like. Yes. All right. That's good to know. People love birds. They love birds, and then they think that, you know, whenever they don't see them anymore, that they're just totally gone. They're worried about them. Yeah, yeah, they do. They care. Sarah, I just have to thank you so much for the information. Today has been such a fun day, and I've learned so much, and I just have one last question for you. Yes, ma'am. If you had to choose. Oh, no. You already know. Oh, no. What kind of bird would you be? What kind of bird would I be? I think I'd be a peewee. You love them. I do love them. <laughs> they're understated, but they're just they just have such a good personality. No, I think a flycatcher would be fun because you get to sally, which means that you are on a perch and you fly out, grab an insect, and then go back to your perch. And they're constantly moving, and I think that suits my personality a lot. I can't sit still for very long. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Understated. Great. I love them. I think if I had to be one, I'd like to be an eagle. That'd be pretty great, too. Yeah. I just like them because they look so angry all the time. Their eyes <laughs> Which just is look... definitely opposite of you because <laughs> you're such a happy person. And maybe that's what I, why I want to be one. Maybe it's an outlet. They, yeah, because they, ju- they just look so menacing. And they do. They just, they're so massive, and I'm not that tall, and um, I could just fly. And eat fish and, and eat fish. scavenge yeah. dead stuff Yes, all day. That's, just dream about scavenging dead but stuff. But you'll look really bold <laughs> and sassy exactly. at the same time. See me flying. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you, Jill. It was really fun, and you're such a great hostess. What you're doing with this podcast, you better not cut this out, is really great for the outdoors because it's opening people's eyes to a lot of different aspects of conservation that either aren't talked about very much or you're providing a really good gateway for people who don't know very much about conservation to these new topics. So well done. Thank you, Sarah. That means so much. That's the goal. That's the goal, folks. All right. Hope you all enjoyed this episode on birds. I sure did. Sarah, thank you again. And this is Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation urging you to get your daily dose of the outdoors. Ha-ha!